So today, we continue on, and today we get to talk about something fun. Let me ask you guys a question. When I say blessed, what words come to your mind? Is that the sound of y'all thinking? (laughs) That's good. Man, I wish I had a sound effects button. I would do that. Uh, (laughs) No. How about this? If you were to go on social media and post hashtag blessed, what kind of pictures might you post? Family. That's good. What else? Oh, this is audience participation. That's good. What else? The house, it's a good one. What did you say? What did you say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, that's true. Houses, some people cars, material things, health, food, yes, good meal, hashtag blessed. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you see also, so I actually did this week, I, I went and looked up hashtag blessed, see what people were talking about. These are the kind of things they're talking about, houses and cars and jobs and spouses and families and I mean, all sorts of really good things, right? Things that, that are good. And, and so, I was, you know, when we think about blessings and we think of hashtag blessed, these are the things we think about. <clears throat> but what about when you don't have those things? What about when none of those things are there? Do you still feel blessed? It seems like for, for too many of us, our circumstances sort of dictate our blessings, like whether or not we're blessed depends on what we have at that moment. And because our, because our blessings are dictated by our circumstances, our faith is dictated by our circumstances. For too many people, the faith we have is circumstantial faith. When things are good, we feel good and we feel blessed. And when things seem bad, we feel bad and things are not blessed. Our faith and everything is based on what's going on around us, not on the power of God. We have more faith in the minutia of the moment than we do in the magnitude of our God. We have more faith in in, in what's happening around us than we do on the promises in this book. And so as I'm reading over the past few weeks, God is putting something on my heart. If you don't feel blessed in your current circumstances, the problem is not your circumstances. The problem is where you've placed your faith. If you don't feel blessed in your current circumstance, the problem is your faith is in your circumstance. If you don't feel blessed with what's going on right now, the problem is your your faith has been misplaced. And if you do feel blessed because of your circumstance, what happens if your circumstance changes? Will you still feel blessed? See, I believe God wants to take us to a place where our faith is not based on our circumstances. Proverbs chapter 3, read this last week, but kind of skimmed over it. Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding of the circumstances. Lean not on what you can see and, and feel and hear and touch. Lean not on anything but God. Trust in God above what you can, above your senses, above every. Trust in God above all these things. And that is the definition of faith. Because when you have circumstantial faith, it causes problems. The first, these first 39 chapters of Genesis has been problem after problem after problem caused by people with circumstantial faith. Adam and Eve. Bless them, man. God said, don't eat from that tree. And then a voice other than God speaks. And they let that voice change their circumstances. And so they sin. And the result is problems. Cain 
Cain didn't immediately see the favor of God on his offering. And because, and because he didn't immediately see God in his circumstances, he kills his brother Abel. His circumstances caused him to create a problem. Abraham and Sarah, God promised them offspring. But, but they looked at their circumstances like, we don't see how this is possible. Abraham was 90, and the Bible says he said, and my wife is up in age. He, wasn't gonna, he didn't call her old. Every time I read that, I laugh. But, but because they didn't immediately believe they could have a baby, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sleep with Hagar, my, my slave girl. And so Abraham does that, and it causes problems. And let, let me tell you men something. If your wife, seriously, y'all need to listen to this, because I've read the Bible. If your wife comes to you and says, I want you to sleep with another woman, don't buy it. It will cause problems. No matter what, don't do it. So you remember that. I learned that in the Bible. Rachel and Leah and Jacob, y'all read about them? Man, their entire identity was bound up in their ability to have a baby. And because they couldn't, they caused problems. Because their faith was circumstantial. And, and for Rachel, she, she had Jacob sleep with a, with a slave girl, and that was culturally acceptable. It was culturally acceptable for him to sleep with a slave girl, and it was culturally acceptable for her to now claim that child is hers. But we don't follow culture. Just because culture says it's acceptable, if God says it's not, don't let culture change your faith. We don't bend to culture. Culture changes. What was acceptable then is not acceptable now. That's why we don't place our faith in culture. We place it in God. We must place our faith on things that are not circumstantial. Because when we have circumstantial faith, we have circumstantial blessings, and the result of all that is trouble. And so we see people making really bad choices. Esau, y'all remember the story of, of Esau? He sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. I wouldn't eat lentil soup if you paid me. And this man sold it. Rachel sold sex with her husband for a mandrake. Let me show you what a mandrake is. That's a mandrake. <laughs> Look at that thing. I, I know because I saw Harry Potter, and that was a mandrake. But would you trade sex with your spouse for that? Ah, that thing? That's a bad choice. It's a bad choice. Problems. I don't know what a real mandrake is. <laughs> problems that's a problem problems when we have circumstantial faith the result is always problems and then we got to our reading this week i think it was around know, chapter 39 or something We've been reading about all these people with circumstantial faith and, and they never felt blessed unless their circumstances changed. And then once they saw a visible blessing, then they felt blessed. And then we get to this week, we get to a man named Joseph. And here the story sort of changes. Like in Joseph, we see what a life of uncircumstantial faith, a life where your focus is on God above all things. In Joseph, we see what real faith looks like. When the story begins, Joseph, let me say this, by the way. It's easy not to like Joseph when you first start reading the story. He was clearly favored by his parents. <laughs> you know. His mom made him a little coat of many colors, right? Like the one you made for Jeff. We remember. We remember. 
<laughs> yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? So we're family here, Mom. Um, I know what it's like to have that brother, right? It's clearly the chosen one. And so I understand why Joseph's brothers weren't all that fond of him. And not only he has a dream where all his brothers bow down to him, and he tells his brothers about that dream. Like, if you have that dream, don't tell me about it. You know? I had a dream about y'all last night. Really? What did we do? Well, y'all all bowed down to me. Guess what? How you feel about slavery. And so the brothers attack him, right? Because he's annoying. And they, they attack him, and they're going to kill him. But what, what, what looks like arrogance with Joseph is not arrogance. It's total and complete faith in God. It looks like you're like, man, what? But it is total and complete confidence that my God is going to be God no matter what happens to me. And when you have that sort of confidence, you're able to rise above the circumstances because the circumstances do not dictate your faith. And so his brothers take him, and he's 17 years old, and they sell him into an Egyptian slave, into slavery in Egypt. And we're going to pick up this story in Genesis uh, chapter 39 because you're going to see something absolutely incredible. This is a 17-year-old boy sold by his brothers into slavery. And in verse 2, it starts like this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Doesn't sound like he's prospering. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar, who's the master, put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. At this point in the story, Joseph has been a slave in Egypt for 11 years. And the math is in the story. You can do it yourself or you can Google it. That's what I did. But the math is there. He'd been a slave in Egypt for 11 years. Sold by his brothers, betrayed by everyone he had known, nothing. 17-year-old boy on his own, a slave. This was not a, a, a glorious life, but Joseph never took his eyes off of God. He never let his circumstances dictate his faith. And because of that, God's favor was clearly on him. People could see, man, there's something different about this slave. Joseph did not let his circumstances break him because he was focused on a God he knew would save him. And so Joseph never lost sight. He trusted God, even as a slave. And as I was reading this, I started thinking, have you ever been a slave to anything? Gosh, I have. Amen. People's opinions, some addiction, fear, guilt. I mean, have you ever been a slave to anything? What if even in your moment of slavery, you never lost sight of the fact that you would be free? Like in that darkest moment when you, did, when you had no idea, what if in that moment you still believed there was a God, God was good, and you would be a slave to nothing but him? Do you know why our circumstances enslave us? Because we give them the power to do it. The reason we are slaves to our circumstances is because we give our circumstances power over us. 
When we understand this is temporary, this is momentary, I've got this problem, this problem is real, but this problem will pass because my faith is in my God and I'm going to search him and I'm going to seek him and I will not take my eyes off him. My circumstances will not become my focus because my focus is on my God. When that is your mentality, you will not be a slave long. Joseph was a slave who knew who his real master was. And it wasn't the Egyptians. It was God. And that is the reason there was favor on the life of Joseph. He did not lose his faith, even when the circumstances said your faith makes no sense. He didn't just survive as a slave. The man survived temptation. Listen, we pick up the, the story, and this is like the, the hot pool boy story. We're about to Genesis 39 right here. <laughs> 39.6, it said, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Man, women in the Old Testament were aggressive. <laughs> like, super aggressive, right? Gosh almighty, like, just pump the brake, ladies. So, it said, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am, but my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, he spoke, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. This temptation presented, don't think he wasn't tempted. The man had been a slave for 11 years. He's, he's, he's young, he's like 30 at this point, right? And this, this woman is, is saying, Joseph, come, I'm not going to tell you. He's like, no, because Joseph had faith in his God. Joseph feared his God. He respected his God. He loved his God. And Joseph believed in his heart that the pain that, would, that, he, would, that he would feel from betraying his God would be greater than the pleasure he would get from sleeping with Potiphar. He believed that the pain of the sin would outweigh the pleasure of the reward because he had faith in God. He believed God would be worthy. And even in temptation, he was able to stand strong because he was not tempted by the circumstance. For too many of us, we let temptation get us because it, we, we, we lose our minds in the circumstance. What we knew was wrong earlier, in the circumstance, we now justify as right. I don't feel bad about it anymore. Culture seems to think it's okay. None of those things matter. Your feelings and what culture is doing does not dictate right and wrong. Yet we justify. We justify them and we do things in this circumstance because we're tempted to follow culture instead of following God. We give things too much power over us. We've made obeying God subject to our feelings. And when that happens, the result is always problems. The result is always problems. What if we chose obedience to God over everything? What if we knew that even if, if I avoid that, that sin, it's going to cause me pain, but in the pain, I will be blessed because I'll get to suffer with Christ. If we counted everything a blessing, even withstanding from things, standing away from things that are going to hurt us, because in that, we get to experience the pain of obedience. And in that, we count ourselves blessed. And then Potiphar, later on, Potiphar you know, says, well, Joseph tried to force himself on me, and so Joseph goes to prison for two more years. For two more years, the man goes back to an Egyptian prison, but he does not lose his faith in God. 
And because of that, the guards come to know his God. And he finds favor in the prison because he keeps his eyes focused on God. And then he he ends up interpreting a dream for someone in prison. And even interpreting dream, Joseph doesn't say, I can interpret your dream. Joseph says, no one can interpret dreams, but my God can. And Joseph is used as a vessel of God. And before long, Joseph is interpreting the dreams of the king of Egypt. And then Joseph helps the, the, the whole nation navigate through a famine. And Joseph ends up forgiving his brothers for what they did to him. Joseph is used by God as part of the solution. Because when your faith is not circumstantial, that's what God does. When your faith is circumstantial, we become part of the problem. You're part of the story that God navigates around to make his will come to pass. God is going to have his will. God is going to have his way. God is going to win. But you can choose to be part of the problem or worthy of praise. And that depends on whether or not your faith is circumstantial. If your faith is in the circumstance, you will always become part of the problem. And then Jesus comes along. We read in Matthew chapter 10 this week, Jesus comes along and He's got his, his disciples and he's got his boys with him and he's about to send them out to do some amazing things. And listen to what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely you must give. And the disciples are like, yeah, watch this. Bow, bow. About to cast out some demons, heal some people in the hospital, leprosy gone, expectoramus. I mean, they're about to go out there and do some things, right? They cannot, they're like, we've been waiting for this, JC, let us go, boom, boom. We're going, we're going, we're about to do this. Walking through hospitals, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, right? They are super excited about this. Wouldn't you be? And then Jesus goes, oh, hold on, there's a catch. Hold on, hold, hold the phone. There's a little more. And Jesus clarifies for them in verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard because you'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. And they're like, what? On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father as a child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Satan, how much more should the members of his household be called? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid because you are worth more than sparrows. Who I love that. Maybe one of my favorite things God says in the whole Bible. You are worth more than sparrows. But don't get it twisted. 
For those who follow me, there will be persecution. There will be pain. He says, they're going to they're beat you because of me. They're going to torture you because of me. They're going to hate you because they hated me. You'll be thrown out of the church because of me. But count yourself blessed because of me. When they hate you, count it a blessing because they hated me. When they beat you, count it a blessing because they beat me. When they torture you, count it a blessing because they tortured me. When you don't know what to say, count it a blessing because I'll show up and speak. Don't worry about what is going to happen to you because I am going to be there. I want you to count your blessings even when there aren't many to count because I am God, I am in charge, and I am with you. He says, do not let your faith dictate your circumstances. He's telling him, he's a man. I need, I need you to have a faith that goes beyond feelings and emotions. I need you to believe in me when you cannot see me. I need you to trust me when trusting me does not make sense. The world is going to be difficult for you if you are my follower. That's why your faith cannot be in the world. Gosh, man, can you imagine what it would be like to have that kind of faith? To be blessed even when you don't feel it. To experience peace when peace makes no sense. Hope when all hope is lost. Joy when joy just doesn't even add up. And yet this is the offer our God makes to us. A faith based on something that you cannot see. He knows you're hurting right now. But your faith is not in this moment. He is not a God of the moment. He's like, man, in the days... When it's the darkest, on the days when it's the toughest, you must put your faith in me. Guys, if you want to have this kind of faith, he tells us what to do. This kind of faith is something you can have. You can, you can experience blessings that aren't circumstantial. You can have faith that's not circumstantial, but it takes work. So here's what you do if you want to have a faith that's bigger than the circumstance. You start acting blessed today with the faith you have. You start acting blessed today in the circumstance you are in. Today with whatever you have, with whatever you've got, with whatever ounce of breath, whatever ounce of resource, whatever ounce of courage, whatever you have today, you begin to live blessed with it. You become faithful with what you have right now and you will experience blessings that will blow your mind. It's the truth. Too many of us, wanna, we want to wait till we're in the moment to call on God. We, we want to let uh, the circumstance dictate our faith. And if you do that, then let me tell you this. The circumstance will indeed dictate your faith. But if you start practicing your faith today, you will be ready for any circumstance. We were watching MMA the other night, last night at my brother's house. And those dudes were fighting. And, and they didn't wait till they got in the ring to start training for the fight. I mean, can you imagine how dumb that would be? On this side is, you know, big bruiser McGrody here, and he's been practicing for eight years. And on the other side is average, ordinary American Christian who's just going to prepare for the fight now. <laughs> fight would be over in like two seconds, if that. Smart, smart fighters train for the fight before they're in the fight. People who want good marriages work on their marriage before their marriage begins to fall apart. People who want to have a nice car, change the oil. They don't wait for the engine to fall out before they do something about their car. If you want something good tomorrow, start training for that today. 
today. Don't wait for the lottery to begin to give. Don't don't wait for for some new skill that you're not going to have to begin working. Don't wait for something. Today, with exactly what you have, with exactly where you are, become faithful to God and watch what God will do. What are we waiting on? By the way, if God never does anything else for you, he's already done enough. He died on a cross and set you free. If he never does another thing, then we are blessed. If, if, you're, if you're a slave to something right now and you're fighting a battle, consider yourself blessed because you're fighting the battle. If today you just realized you're a slave, consider yourself blessed because God is about to set you free. If you failed and you need forgiveness, consider yourself blessed because grace has been poured out on you in abundance. What is the circumstance that can steal your blessing? If your faith is not on the circumstance, the answer is nothing. Nothing. Let me tell you guys a story of faith. Listen, I don't, I don't share stories like this all the time. And um, So I guess it was last week, Thursday or Friday, they're all starting to run together. We had a, a, a team of construction workers out here, and we had a man over there on the, uh, on the, in the new kid's wing, and he, he fell and hit his head on the concrete slab. And Ernie, Ernie came in and said, Tommy, there's a guy out here who's hurt, okay? And I was like, all right. So I go out there, and when I get there, I see what I think is a dead man. Um, I've seen some stuff in my days. And this guy was laying there, and I'm not going to get into all the, the graphics of the situation, but when I walked out there, I thought this man was dead, would be dead. Uh, if he lived long, I assumed that his brain was was at least gone. This was bad. Not only did he fall, a massive, I don't know, 400-pound wooden beam came and landed on his head. This dude was, this dude was over, okay? I, I'm standing there looking at this guy, and in my mind, the immediate thing I go to is, what can I do for his family? I got to find this man's wife. I got to find this man's kids. So I call, uh, the, they call an ambulance. The ambulance come and I call Christy, my wife, because she works at, at Maple Creek Medical right down the road, and she's a nurse practitioner. So Christy gets up there, and she's down on the ground, and the, the, um, the volunteer fire department is there, and they did an amazing job. And so they're all working on this guy, and, and Christy looks at me and says, this is bad. And, and she, she's got her hand, she's filling his head, and we assume the brain is bleeding and all these sorts of things. And so they're calling for med flight. Med flight can't get there in time. And I am watching a man die in front of me who's been working to build our kid. I mean, my heart is breaking. I'm watching a man die. And as they begin to load that man up in the ambulance, Christy puts her hand on him and says, from the grace of Jesus Christ, heal this man. She prays. And then I texted my staff, and they begin to pray Jesus. And then I came to Macho Nacho that night, and we prayed Jesus. That man, a day after he went into the hospital, walked out on his own. Hey, listen. I texted Lydia, and I texted the staff, and was like, this dude's going to be okay. And Lydia texted me back and said, you asked for an Acts church. It's what you got. Guys, I, I don't stand up here all the time and talk about healings and those sort of things, and the reason I don't do it is because I'm scared that maybe yours isn't going to happen the way you want it to. Because there are times when we will pray, and it will not be healed in the way we want it. But we've seen a dead man walking. We've seen a man come back to life now. A man who should not be with us. A man who should be brain damaged. And he's going to work again. He's going to be healthy again. He's going to be okay. Why doesn't God do it every time? I don't know. But I know that sometimes he does. 
I know that sometimes he does, and I know it because I've seen it. Blessed are those who believed and didn't see it. But I know what God is capable of doing. And I know you think, I'm, I'm so cynical of these stories, and I hate that part of me that's cynical when I hear stories like this. So maybe that's God was like, do you believe me now? Do you believe me now? I'm walking around worried about how we're going to pay for this stuff. And God said, I brought a man back to life on it. I got it covered. Don't worry about that. You just be you. You just be you. You preach the good news. You preach Christ crucified and Christ resurrected, and I'll do some crazy things. I have faith in a God who's big. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to show up in your situation. I don't know whether, whether he, but I do know this. Our God is God, and our God is good. And even when you don't see him, you must believe in him. Healing doesn't always happen in the way we want it, and, and it's not. But even in that moment, we can place our faith in a God who's bigger. Even in that moment, we can believe, God, I don't see it, I don't feel it, I don't know, but I still know you are God, and I still know you are good. And if that's all I know, then there's no blessings that can be taken from me. Because to live is to be blessed, and to die is to be blessed, and to suffer is to be blessed, and to be rich is to be blessed, and to be poor is to be blessed. There is nothing the world can take from me if my focus is on Jesus Christ. Nothing. When he becomes the source of all my blessings, then he becomes the recipient of everything I'm blessed with. Everything. Do you believe in a God even when you cannot see him? Do you have faith beyond the circumstances? If not, get faithful with what you got. Get faithful today and trust God with tomorrow. Friends, we are beyond blessed. It's time we start living like it.